Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudnay are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you. No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the No Names and players currently making a name. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered. Uh, this week's episode, I have a special guest. His name is Ryan Dumoulin, and he is a free agent hockey analytics member, uh, formerly of the Sudbury Wolves and of the Regina Pats. And uh, he is from Cochrane, Ontario, which is not far from my hometown of Sudbury. Uh, it's, you know, just far enough away that he doesn't have to admit he's from there. So uh, welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> I'm really happy to have you here. Um, I find that the advanced stats um, get a bad rap, and I find them important. I think that they're an excellent additional tool that uh, my listeners could uh, could take a look at and follow, and maybe it'll help uh, introduce some people to different ways of looking at the game. Um, what what do you, what, do you uh, basic, what got you into doing the advanced stats? Um, so I started uh, advanced stats in my second year of university. Um, 
I was interested in seeing how uh, prospects develop and how we can um, measure uh, how they develop along their career paths. Um, that's when I got into uh, meeting a couple members of the Sudbury Wolves and uh, they invited me to come to a game and experience see what they do on a daily basis and um, I ended up applying at the end of that season and uh, joined them for my second year university. Oh, interesting. Uh, what, uh, what university did you attend? I went to Laurentian in Sudbury. What a wonderful school, eh? A great school. Yeah, I was at the School of Sports Administration. Um, we do sports business there, and uh, I just graduated this uh, this past spring, actually. So very excited to get the career going from there. Well, as a uh, as a graduate of the Huntington School of Mines, which is part of Laurentian, uh, we're both uh, we're both members of the same alma mater. Definitely, what a great school. I know, and me working in electronics in the Navy is completely in line with mining engineering. <laughs> <laughs> Very useful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so you you followed the Canadians' uh, playoff run. C can you give me a little bit of uh, your thoughts on what you th basically the series itself and the playoffs itself? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we saw a totally different team from the regular season. Uh, the regular season, they looked timid. Um, they weren't really. Um, you know, I mean, we did have a lot of injuries. The Canadians had a lot of injuries throughout the year that really like slowed down the, the, the gel, the gelling of the team together. And they came out a totally different team for the playoffs. Um, started against Pittsburgh. Um, just people, you know, the four checking, people were skating, Montreal Canadiens were skating, they were using their feet. Um, really just, you know, against Philly too, we just passed the eye test for sure. Um, we looked like the better team and we, you know, Montreal should have won that, uh, that series. Now, our, the eye test does say that they outplayed the uh, both these teams, but somehow ended up on the losing end in the second series. Can you give us uh, some idea of um, if your uh, advanced stats that you were tracking met up with the eye test? Definitely. Um, so just preliminary looking at the advanced stats, they d definitely passed the eye test and it passes the analytics uh, litmus test, if you will. Um, the Canadians absolutely dominated Corsi. Uh, percentage. So that's shot attempts um, by a healthy margin every single game, um, usually by 10, around 10 per game and expected goals as well, except for uh, with the exception of game three, which we lost one nothing. Um, just the Canadians just absolutely um, dominated the series. Um, but when you look a bit closer and you look at the individual statistics and the shooting statistics, um, it turns out that Montreal actually shot a foot and a half farther from the net than Philly did on average. Even though we had more shots, we were getting less quality shots. Um, when you shoot from that far back, it can decrease your chances of scoring a goal by half a percent to one and a half percent, according to uh, Micah Blake McCurdy's work at HockeyViz. Um, a rebound was only created for 0.6% of the time on our shots, and Philly created a rebound on 5.5%. So that, that basically supports what myself and many others were saying, that the Canadians just weren't simply getting to the net enough. Definitely. Um, and then, I mean, you look at the shooting percentage, and Philly converted on 9.61% of their shots. We only, Montreal Canadiens only converted on 7.86% of their shots. Um, there was a the lack of shooting skill that's evident with the team and has uh, you know, been present all season where Montreal was led in all advanced stats categories, um, but just you know, couldn't get it done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people have been mentioning, uh, myself, you're, I'm sure you, and pretty much everyone, that 
the Canadians lack depth and they lack that uh, that high end shooter. Exactly, and I mean they they did have Kovalchuk, but unfortunately, you know, it looked like Montreal wasn't going to make the playoffs, so it was right to unload him and let him have another go at the cup. Um, he was really converting when he was with Montreal as well, but I mean, there's not much you can do when it's worth a surprise entry. Um, I think Montreal played really well um, for what they had. And I think the addition of Cole Caulfield um, and another, hopefully another scorer in free agency will really shore up their, their ability um, and really start to convert on these chances. Now, before we come back to the, uh, the, the series, I just wanted to pick your brain a little bit on that, that th- last thought there. Yep. Do you feel that Caulfield is going to make the jump this coming season? Um, I, I hope so. Um, I think that he could, i I think his career path will be similar to um, Kakanyemi's in a way that he might struggle um, once teams start figuring him out and then hopefully he can adjust. Um, the American League might be the better the better place for him for next season. Um, I just don't think that he should be staying in college with um, his teammates, all of his better teammates like Turco, Alex Turcotte and uh, Condre Miller, I think is on his team. And they're all um, starting to move on to their NHL teams. So I think that Caulfield really needs to make the jump and start to play against um, people a little bit bigger and a little bit older. And hopefully he can adjust his game to that level. Interesting. Yeah. I'd like to talk to you a little bit offline after this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So back to the series, Uh, everybody who watched that, the eye test proved it. Uh, Carey Price did his part. Now, with you watching and following along and uh, following the advanced stats, can you you kind of give an idea to my listeners how the advanced stats would apply to a goaltender? Yes. So um, the biggest advance stat with goalies right now is goals saved above expectation. Um, so looking at the expected goals that were expected to be scored against that goalie, we can see of how their, their save percentage and their the actual goals that they didn't allow and the actual goals uh, really lines up with it. Um, so in that sense, Carey Price and Carter Hart are leading the league by a wide margin, along with Jonas Corposalo. He had a little bit less games played uh, than Carter Hart and Carey Price, but they both are astronomically higher than any other goal in the league. Now, um, a question on the goals yeah. expected, the expected goals uh, that you're mentioning. Can you give an idea to my listeners who don't ha- uh, follow the advanced stats? Like what's, what's the basic background to uh, putting that together? Yep. So definitely. So expected goals um, is is basically it measures the quality of the chance um, the, of the shot that they're taking. So instead of it just being Carey Price let in or had a 940 save percentage, it's almost like it's weighted so that we could see so that if, if a goalie faces way more quality shots from closer in net, um, it's going to be it's going to matter more than a shot from the outside. Um, it applies to sh- mainly it applies to shooters, but it's recently been kind of reversed onto um, the goaltending side. Um, expected goals is really kind of the most popular one right now um, for players for measuring uh, how a player performs on the offensive end of the ice. Um, so reversing it for goalies, Carey Price was had had he saved eight goals that should have been allowed in the whole playoffs this, this season. Which is high, especially when you consider six of them went off his own go- uh, defenders. Exactly. That's another problem. <laughs> <laughs> There's no advanced stats for that one. No, there is not. Maybe we'll have to create one. Now, uh, more on price. Um, were, are there any other stats that could help uh, define 
the the way he plays and the way he uh, he impacts other teams' approaches? Um, not not specifically. Um, I think that looking at the stats and just in the series, uh, he really chokes up on the rebounds. Like he he does not allow too many. So NHL teams are having to get closer and closer to him and and take less shots. Um, Philly took less shots than Montreal. Um, in fact, there was 25 less shots. They scored the same number of goals. Um, so I feel that teams are really having, having to adjust, realizing that once they take a shot at Price, there's going to be not a second chance at, uh, at getting a shot. Um, he just, he's so good, so good at, at, at his positioning and his awareness on the ice, playing the puck. Um, there's no metric for that either. Uh, maybe I should create one. But um, <laughs> he really... Uh, he, it's just a, the, the impact of, of a team knowing that if they dump the puck, it's going to be on the defenseman's stick in a second. And it's going to be back up the ice. It's uh, it's terrifying. You know, that's that's just the one way in many that he really impacts the game. Now on that, I know there's an, an advanced stat for zone exits. Would a, would a goaltender be followed up in that stat as well? No, um, unless they end up making the pass outside. But I've, I've, I haven't seen goalies really counted into zone exits. Um Maybe a stat could be created for passes from behind the net from out, out of the red uh, the red trapezoid area um, for goalies so that we can we can see their impact, but nothing's really been developed as far as I'm aware right now. Oh, I see I see a pass. There's the opening. There's yeah. the opening. <laughs> um, and, and just moving on from that, uh, we also, offline before we started, we, we discussed uh, the kids, the, the impact of the kids on this this series. So can you give me an idea of, the eye test proved that Suzuki was definitely a number one center. Um, what, do you have anything that would back that up? Yeah, so definitely. Um, so looking at the, the players that they've played against, um, there's some analytics from Micah, Blake McCurdy, who records their, who the players play against and who they're matched up against. And Suzuki played against the second line for the Flyers, which featured Voracek and Konecki uh, most of the series. That is a huge assignment for a rookie player to play against. Um, and I'd, I'd argue that Cockney is also projecting to be a number one center. He played most, the most time against Giroux and Couturier, the Flyers first line. Now, are you, your, your thought on both being like a one, a one B is yes. that based uh, on their, their performance in these last two series? Um, basically their whole body of work. Like last year, Kotkaniemi had such a great defensive uh, game um, that he was considered a dark horse for the Selkie from, analy- from the anal- analytics community. He was just, uh, just he's, he allowed actually the least amount of expected goals against when he was on the ice uh, per 60 minutes um, this playoffs so far up to yesterday. Um, okay. I was listening to actually the Spit and Chicklets podcast earlier and they had Kevin Hayes on from the Flyers and he um, gave a comparison for Nick Suzuki, and he said Ryan O'Reilly. That is yeah. a huge comparison. Wow, the con- uh, the former Con Smythe winner. Yes, exactly. And he said that he does everything. He's confident with the puck. And, I mean, we saw today with Claude Julien saying that a comparable could be David Krejci, and I think that's right now. And I think the the top end could be Ryan O'Reilly type player. Well, that's that's a real tap on the head for Suzuki. It is. <laughs> Especially since Krejci was one of Claude Julien's favorite players back in Boston, but yeah, yeah definitely. And Hayes giving the old tap on the head on spitting chicklets after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> couple taps. Yeah, a little couple. Yeah. Um, so we saw the offensive uh, 
interaction between Suzuki and Jirue. Did the, is there anything that we can show that their zone entries or uh, the shot attempts were improved once those two were matched up? Um, I actually have um, the, 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 which might be surprising for, for people listening. Um, the best Canadians line that debuted throughout the playoffs was Kotkaniemi, Drouin, and Domi. That was the number one. Suzuki had a little bit less, a little bit better than league average um, on expected goals, but by far the top line was Kotkaniemi, Drouin, and Domi. Um, now they only played 20 minutes together, and that was mostly through game three when the Canadians lost one nothing. Wow. Um, so, you know, as an analytics person, um, that would have been a sign to keep that line together uh, throughout the playoffs for the rest of it. They performed that well. They had, so if they played 60 minutes together, they were expected to score 4.6 goals, which is highest in the NHL, maybe second to Forsberg, Johansson, and Arvidsson from Nashville, and definitely tied with McKinnon, Ranton, and Nemestikov from Colorado. That is high. (laughs) Very high. Very high. So, I mean, you know, just the thing is with with not having them together and splitting them up just because they didn't score a goal, it's, I don't know, it's, it it leaves a question. Do you feel that the Canadians would benefit from having a a dedicated analytics uh, group that could make these suggestions to the coaching staff? I definitely believe they would. Um, They would definitely benefit at least, you know, to get further insight um, from their players. I know the Canadians do probably use Sport Logic, um, who is based in Montreal, um, to get the reports. But the thing with that is that they don't have a dedicated actual analytics person, um, you know, running running the the analytics and making personalized stuff to projections for drafting, projections for free agency. And I think they could really uh, they'd really take a big advantage with that. Is is there a team that does have a large uh, analytics community on staff? Yep, obviously Toronto, um, Vegas, uh, Florida has a big one, Pittsburgh has a big one, almost every team. I could, it'd probably be easier to name the teams that don't have uh, an analytics person, dedicated analytics person. Montreal is definitely one of them. Um, listed on their analytics team is John Segwick, who's uh, the president of the legal division, and uh, he's vice president of hockey operations, I believe. Um and I think that they would really benefit from having, you know, a director of hockey analytics and maybe one or two under, under them to bring all these analytics together and say, okay, we got all the data together. What does this mean? How can we translate this into wins? Now, I, I know that these analytics are easier to find for people for NHL at the NHL level, but at the AHL and CHL level, it's much yep. more difficult. Yes, it is. Very uh, difficult. Is that because they try to be more proprietary with their teams? Um, I think it's just the lack of, um, of I don't know, like interest, I guess, from um, from the big, big hockey analytics people that are publicly available. Um, it's very, it's very hard to track because the NHL releases uh, a shift by shift, line by line, kind of itemized thing of what happened on the ice, when it happened, where it happened, how it happened, and who was involved from every player. Um, and they release shift by shift in kind of a backroom data of the NHL website. And this is what people are getting their data from to create all these analytics in the public sphere. 
um, when you go to the CHL, there is none of that. Um, even power plays, they don't end the power play time when a goal gets scored. It's just considered two minutes, no matter what. So uh, last year in Regina, part of my job was going through the power plays and uh, cutting it off and saying, okay, the power play only lasted a minute 32. And that is very important. And it was a very time consuming and huge thing to do. And just with the budgets of the Canadian Hockey League, they just don't have the money to, to pay for these people to do all this. Wow. That, that's, you're doing that manually. Yeah. That's wow. the thing with, with the Canadian Hockey League and lower leagues is there's just not enough resources available to really gather all this and make a computer do it by, by just pressing enter. It's a, it's a lot of hand track data and, you know, compiling it after. It could really be work for even more than uh, the, what the NHL has to do. That's a, that, wow. You, you know, I, I do follow the advanced stats community and I, I have a basic grasp, yep. but knowing that it, it has to be done manually, that, that boggles my mind based on the fact that these could be excellent tools in drafting. Exactly. And especially for, um, you know, even going into even lower leagues, when you're working for a Canadian Hockey League team, it's hard to look at Bantam players and especially Bantam players who don't really get a lot of attention if they're playing in a lower league or a more obscure league. So like um, you're drafting your team in Alberta, you're drafting and a player's playing in the Yukon and he doesn't really play in any of these huge circuits. You might not be able to get a scout up there. So and especially like with the import draft in Europe, a uh, big thing with Canadian Hockey League teams not being able to afford to hire someone full time in Europe to scout players. It's okay, what can we see from stats and how can we um, measure these players and see how they would perform in our own league? Unbelievable. Now, um, <laughs> there, there is so much to cover in, in advanced stats. It is mind boggling. But and I, I, I think we ju we're just scratching the surface as well, I think. I think there's a lot more to, to kind of get at in the whole of the game of hockey with analytics. Well, especially considering uh, you mentioned how they do line-by-line, minute-by-minute in the NHL, and they provide a lot of this information, but uh, the data points that they give to the public are, are a fraction of what they keep. Yep. Yep, it's crazy. And then they're going to be coming out with player tracking um, in the future, and that's going to be... Um, trillions of data points per game of positioning a player as a speed. There's going to be so much more coming out in the near future. Once they get the data tracking with the microchips and the jerseys and microchips on the puck, it's going to be absolutely insane. That was expected to begin, I believe the season after the one coming. So 2022. Yeah. It was originally slated for um, last season, I believe. And then they had to switch providers. Um, so teams are still preparing on that. And a lot of them have no idea what is going to be happening. And um, I think the first team who is able to kind of, you know, get, get the inside meat and potatoes from all this, they're going to really be able to um, incorporate this and, and get a huge advantage on any other team in the league. So now would be an excellent time for the Montreal Canadiens to give you a call and hire you on. <laughs> I, would, I would be open to it. <laughs> <clears throat> so uh, just to swing back to the, uh, the, the series uh, or the yeah. playoffs for the Canadiens. Uh, yeah. So the, the defensive side of it, uh, I, I, I followed a little bit. There's a couple of people that I, I, I was tracking just to see how they set up the three pairings for the Canadians. And I know there's a lot of chatter about poor play for Wynette and Mete, yep. but the analytics said something completely different. It did. Uh, Mete and Wynette 
uh, surprised me. I was kind of watching the game and I was like, oh, I'd rather Flurry in there or, you know, I'd, I'd rather someone else. Um, looking at the data, they suppressed so many shots against. Um, they were they were in like the dull category of the whole league. They just, they didn't really produce too much offense, but they were all right in suppressing it. And I mean, they did play with, um, with the better players on the Canadians um, when they were on, they didn't really play as much as uh, someone like Weber and Sherrod, obviously. Um, but they, they really surprised me. Do you feel that their play in the, in this series, in this last series against the Flyers, do you, do you feel that, that's going to create some chatter within the organization to keep Wallet. Definitely. I think um, there's going to be a huge battle next season for um, the last two slots in on the, on the defense pairs. Um, you know, we got flurry. We're getting Romanov over. We have Mete, Wallet. who knows who we're going to sign in, in uh, this, this fall, I guess, in the, in the off season. Um, even Folan could uh, could make his way back and, and try and crack the lineup. We're going to see a huge battle, I think, and that's only good for the Canadians because we're going we're gonna to have so much stock in case of injuries, and it's going to be really good. Now, I, I know they did, that defensively the Canadians did extremely well, but do you feel that they would have uh, benefited from having a puck mover like, say, uh, Shane Gothisberg? Um, I, I think so. I think that's that's what we've been the Canadians have been missing since PK Subban uh, left is the person who could move the puck. But I, I think we might have found one this playoffs in Kulak. Brett Kulak has been amazing. Um, I think it was his combination of his puck moving and skating prowess that allowed him to bypass the tra- trap systems of Philly and uh, get the puck into the zone. Every time he was on, he was just, you know, he'd get the puck and he'd wind up around the net and he'd be gone up the ice. Even, you know, even the forwards would have to be covering for him just because he's, he was just so good at getting the puck in deep. Um, he was able to uh, gain this, to leave the zone with a passer carry at a 75%, 70, at a 61% success rate of leaving the zone. That's per uh, Jason Paul. Um, I believe you guys had them on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Jason's a friend of the show. Uh, and he's a former colleague of mine at the Hockey Writers. Yeah, so he 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 had some tracking data on his uh, on his website, and uh, this is where I'm getting all that from, or on his uh, Twitter. And um, yes, Kulak was able to leave his own 61% of the time with either puck on the stick or making an excellent pass up the boards, at a 66% success rate of getting out. That is, give, it's great. To give my listeners an idea of how good that is. Do you have a comparable so that they can compare the two players? Yep, definitely. Um, Shea Weber. Uh, he had less, Kulak had less actual um, times, like uh, opportunities to bring it out, but his percentage was on par with Shea Weber and uh, Jeff Petrie. Those are two amazing players uh, for the Canadians right now. I'd argue Jeff Petrie is the best defenseman on the Canadians. Um, but, you know, for for Kulak, who was you know constantly battling with Flurry for the sixth spot all season to come to the playoffs and really cement themselves as a number four, I think it's uh, it's a good thing for Canadians. See, and this is what I love about the advanced stats. It gives it gives a value to what defensemen do if they're not getting onto the score sheet. Exactly, and that's and I think again we're just scratching the surface of defensive metrics. I think a lot of it is really focused towards offense with expected goals. Um, but once we can really define with even passing analytics or you know stuff like that of how defensemen impact the game, I think there would be a lot of growth in that area. Hey, we're 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 creating new ground and opening up new fields. Just we're just brainstorming. Show. We're yeah. brainstorming. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're, we're revolutionizing the field in a, in a single episode. There we go. Yeah. That's going on my resume. Because <laughs> <laughs> my, my bosses don't think I, at work, uh, my J-Dob, they don't think I know how to count. <laughs> there so, we go. Just going to slap them down their talkie analytics and, and let them see. Just baffle them. Um, <laughs> so just to give you a, a final thought on the uh, on where do you think the Canadians should focus uh, their off season? I think we really, the Canadians really need to find a scorer. Um, they need to get a, a person who can, you know, put the puck in the net for them at a, at a high rate. We get a lot of chances. The Canadians get a lot of chances and they just can't put the puck in the back of the net. Um, but I would be hesitant to sign for big money. I don't think big money is really worth it. I think you really need to, to go through the draft. Um, I think finding a player similar to Tatar at the same kind of pay level, um, we really need to find someone like that who can really put the puck in the net. Say if they, they were able to get uh, perhaps a Dadanov at about the same cost, would that be the type of player you think that would be an impact for the Canadians? I definitely do. I think, um, you know, so- someone who, who just has a natural skill of putting it in the net, even getting Kovalchuk back. Um, I, I don't think that he's, he's ready to go. I don't think he's ready to retire. I think he's still trying to chase that cup. And I think looking at the back at the team and saying, wow, these guys played so well. They just, they need someone like me. I think that that might attract them to, to come back to Montreal and, and really, you know, uh, helping make that run for 25. Now with Kovalchuk, when he was with the Canadians, do you do you have like uh, anything to back up, analytic wise that that could maybe convince someone who thinks he's too old? Um, I mean, he's just we saw it right 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 then and there um, with his, you know, his goal scoring prowess, that overtime win against Toronto. Um, he's he's just one crazy player with his his shooting skill. Um, I'm just looking right now to see if I can get anything for his, his shooting skill. And I don't think I'd I'd be able to get anything right now, but anyway, he's, yeah, his, his skill is just off the charts. And I mean, we've seen it ever since he was drafted in 2000 and, you know, he actually, uh, he played in a hockey tournament here in Cochrane in my hometown, small town of 5,000. And, uh, they, uh, their stories constantly about how he put the puck through the boards. He left a hole. Well, <laughs> not not analytical wise. No, that's that's hard to do. Oh my god. Yeah, and they had to they had to cancel the game and repair the boards, and it's just that's. Uh, and I've played hockey up there. I mean, the boards up there are thick plywood. Yeah, old time hockey. Yeah. Did they get rid of the chicken wire? Yep, they did. Just oh. last year. <laughs> I miss that. I miss the He's fans. Uh, it. Yeah, I miss the fans reaching through and grabbing my helmet when I was playing. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I was popular up there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, with Kovalchuk, the skill you mentioned the skill, and for me, the, it's the goal that he had against Ottawa, where he slowed everything down. That yeah. that level of skill. I agree. The Canadians need to get some scoring if they can add a little bit on the power play. Uh, I think that could have been a difference in that series because the Canadians had enough power plays against Philly to make a difference. 
Yep, definitely. I think that, you know, that that's just what this team is missing. They're missing the goal scorers. And I don't, contrary to the popular opinion on, you know, uh, Sportsnet and other kind of networks, I, I do believe the Habs are close to really making some noise in the playoffs and uh, kind of like the, the 2013-2011 LA Kings or whatever year that was that they got in on eighth and then they, you know, they were able to, to really make a run at it. Yeah, with a, with solid goaltending, you've got a, you've got good defense on the back end, a little bit of help up front with some size. Who knows? That's a recipe. Yeah, other other teams have done it. Exactly. <laughs> Why can't we? <laughs> exactly. So uh, I'm going to give you some uh, a couple of minutes of the show just to plug what you're doing and your goals. Yep. And the floor is yours. Sounds good. So hopefully um, I'll be able to find a, uh, a job in the Canadian Hockey League this, uh, this winter, but everything's kind of on hold with uh, COVID-19. Um, really, I'm, I might start working for the Junior A team in my hometown, just uh, helping out and build the resume a bit more. Um, hopefully, you know, everything in the Canadian Hockey League can get back to normal. Uh, Montreal Canadiens, if you're listening, please give me a call. Um, I'd be willing to work for you. Um, but you know, I'm just looking forward to watching the draft and, and seeing where, where players are going to start going. Um, just want to shout out to a couple of the uh, people uh, that your followers might want to go and follow to, to get a better handle on this. Um, Sean Tierney on Twitter with Charting Hockey. Um, I use a lot of his analytics for this, this show in particular. Um, Micah Blake McCurdy with Hockey Viz and the Youngren Twins with Evolving Hockey. Go give them a follow on Twitter. Um, Every day, they're always tweeting something um, about what they've been doing, how players are playing. Um, even just to follow, you'll learn so much. Um, hockey analytics really seems like it's a, a steep hill to get into. But once you do, um, it's a really valuable tool uh, to, to comparing and contrasting what you're seeing on the ice and proving or disproving what you're seeing. Um, so, yeah, give them a follow. Uh, they're all great follows. And... Personally, I hope the uh, the Wolves, Sudbury, if you're listening, come on, give Ryan a call. I, you guys, <laughs> bring him back. Yeah, bring him back. You guys are looking to be a championship team this year. He's the perfect help. Exactly. Let's go. So let's get my hometown Wolves a championship. Here we go. Member, member coming up. That's right. So uh, Ryan, thank you very much for coming on the show. I know it's uh, it, it's a shorter episode, but I felt it's important just because the analytics community gets a bad rap that you come on and give us a little bit of help. Oh, definitely. We're not bad people. We're just, uh, you know, we're just trying to, to understand this game and see if we can, we can change it and for the better. Exactly. So, so definitely. Thank you for having me on. It was a great, great experience. My pleasure and uh, good luck in the future. Thank you. Support for Habs Unfiltered is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Big news! Manscaped just launched in Canada. For those listeners in Canada, you can be one of the first Canadians to experience their life-changing products. Myself, Treg, and Matt have all had trimming accidents. It happens. Every man has. There's nothing to be ashamed of. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and have their new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade 
to reduce manscaping accidents. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water-resistant technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk yours. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. here at Habs Unfiltered would like to thank you, all of our listeners, old and new, for tuning in. Please click subscribe so that you never miss an episode of all of our shenanigans. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.